When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Carroll, with Phil Kirkbride. Off this week, I'm stepping into his shoes, and I'm joined by Adam Jones and Dave Prentice. How are we, chaps? We're absolutely average. Absolutely average. Indeed. I won't disagree with Prentice. Which is fine, you know, for the, uh, the state of the world at the moment. You can't ask for more than that. I've seen on, on social media this week, Preno, that you hunted down uh, somewhere that was offering fresh pints. How was, how was that? <laughs> um, it was a Lake District, back of the Lake District, place called Barngates, and a, a pub that I like a lot, uh, the Drunken Duck, but obviously it's closed for obvious reasons, but was driving past, and I saw a blackboard outside that said, Beer, ring the bell. So what's a man to do? You know, you stop and you <laughs> ring the bell. Um, so rang the bell and uh, they have genuine, was it uh, something gold? It was uh, a Lakeland brew. But yeah, it, it was draft beer, uh, obviously served in very, very carefully uh, controlled circumstances in a, a sealed plastic container, which you have to take away. And you know, obviously you can't drink, you know, so on or near the premises. But in the current circumstances, that'll do for me. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that, 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 that was wonderful. It was like a, a shimmering oasis in the uh, in, in the desert. So any, yeah, it was uh, good. Enjoyed it. Any fresh pints for you lately, Adam? No, I'm having to make do with uh, with coffee. Like the coffee shop by ours has opened <laughs> again now for some uh, for some socially distanced coffee, which is making my mornings. In unimaginably easier. I'm not going to lie. Well, we'll uh, we'll we'll start this this podcast. You know, for the first time in in a long time, football was was back at Goodison Park this week, and, and Everton took part in a intra squad friendly. There's a few little interesting tidbits from from what the club released, uh, certainly in 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 a video that they, they put out on on their social media. It seemed that. Dominic Calvert-Lewin and, and Anthony Gordon, both on the score sheet, and, and Michael Keane got two as well. So yeah. Yeah, it seems like Carl Ancelotti was, was running the rule over his options. Uh, one thing, though, that, that stands out is that Anthony Gordon goal, Adam, sh- surely not. Could he could he start in the derby? <sighs> I think whether he starts is, is quite an interesting debate, isn't it? Um I, I, I don't think he should be starting. I mean, obviously, it'll depend on uh, fitness for everybody else in the squad uh, by the time we get uh, to Sunday, which, you know, who knows where that's going to stand considering our luck over the last couple of weeks. But, uh, you know, I think it's really promising to see him getting, uh, you know, a bit of exposure in uh, a circumstance such as this one. You know, this is, you know, these intra-squad matches, you know, they're, they're maybe not the best in terms of getting... Uh, the squad up to like Premier League standard again. You'd rather play against, you know, a, a different side for that. Really, you know, even even like a higher up sort of Championship team. I think you, you're going to get a bit more of a competitive edge in those sort of games, even if it is a friendly. But you know, to see Anthony Gordon given given his opportunity in a game like this one and taking his opportunity as well by 
getting on the score sheet is really, really promising. You know, he's a player who Ancelotti seems to have high hopes for. You know, he brought him on a half-time against West Ham, didn't he? Uh, uh, back in January, I think it was. So, and he played, you know, pretty well there for his first ever Premier League minute. So it looks like his progression is, you know, I think he was only, he was playing for the under-18s at the start of last season. And now he's on the fringes of the first team. I think it's still too soon for him to be, you know, thrusted into the, you know, I know it's going to be a very different sort of atmosphere in this Merseyside derby, but you still don't want to be thrusting uh, a player of his, you know, with his lack of experience almost into into a situation such as that one. So uh, it, maybe not starting, but I'd, I'd love to see him given a few minutes. And, you know, with the new rule changes, you know, we're going to be able to make five subs now. I'd be a little bit disappointed almost if Gordon didn't get on the pitch at some point. But uh, in terms of start, and I still think that's a little bit of a way off for me. And, and Preno, the, obviously we, we were all kind of looking at those videos the club released, trying to work out who was in what positions and, and seeing if there was any any hints. And it did seem like the players kind of were, were regularly rotating between uh, the, the the bib team and, and the non-bibs. But... What do you think Carlo Ancelotti would have been? Do you think Carlo Ancelotti will have started with the team he probably will start the derby with? Maybe Andre Gomez and Fabian Delft, depending on how they do in their injury comeback aside? No, I'm not, I'm not so sure at all. You've got to bear in mind, it's effectively a, a glorified training session. And there are also images that are released by the club. And they're not going to release anything that they think Jurgen Klopp may be able to watch and gain you know, some kind of uh, advantage or insight. So I think it was just an exercise to effectively try and get a little bit of sharpness uh, into the players. And also get them used to the idea of playing at a deserted Goodison Park. Um uh, I'm with Adam on the, the Anthony Gordon issue. I mean, clearly Carlo Ancelotti thinks highly of him and thinks a lot of him. He was introducing him in little cameo roles you know, prior to the lockdown. And uh, since the lockdown, he has spoken very, very positively about him and uh, the part he could play uh, between now and the end of the season. But starting a derby match against you know a, a team that's on the brink of you know, clinching the Premier League title is a big, big ask, even with no crowd in there you know, to actually put even greater pressure uh, on the youngster. I think um, he's going to be introduced bit by bit. And hopefully we are in a position where we can see him briefly in the derby match because it means things are going okay. You know, so if we can bring a young player on with 15 or 20 minutes to go, uh, you know, it would suggest that, you know, the situation is such that, you know, so Carlo Ancelotti feels comfortable in doing so. I mean, I've seen players introduced into, into big matches before. And it's funny how they, how they can go one of two ways. You know, some, some youngsters can absolutely flourish in the atmosphere. I'm thinking of Richard Dunn and Michael Ball. They were introduced into a derby match, um, oh gosh, in the late 90s and uh, absolutely reveled in the experience and went on both to have very, very good careers. The very same game, Michael Branch uh, also featured and it all seemed a little bit too much for him, to be honest. And, you know, so obviously, you know, so his career didn't go quite the same way. So, yeah, it, it's a very, very unforgiving environment, a Merseyside derby match in which to introduce a youngster, crowd or no crowd. Uh, so I, I think the best we can hope for is to see him, you know, so brought on as a substitute. And hopefully that is the case, because like I say, hopefully it means that things are going quite well on the uh, on the night. Well, I mean, even if, it, even if they're not, though, I think Gordon's the kind of player who's got such quality about him and you know he might he might be a bit of a an unknown entity for Liverpool to try and deal with let's say you know things are things are level going into the last like 20 minutes or so to have somebody you know with the qualities of Anthony Gordon on the bench you know he's going to be 
really fired up for this experience. He's got bags of pace, bags of skill. He can bag a goal from, you know, almost anywhere on the pitch, it seems. I haven't watched them in the 18s and the 23s. So, you know, to have a player of that standard on the bench, I think, you know, I don't think we can talk down how much how much of a good player Anthony Gordon is. I think yeah. he's, he's certainly somebody who adds quality to the squad. And I, well, an awful lot depends on what happens on the training pitch between now and then, because um, we've still got virtually an entire week to go. And as we've seen, the appeal, we don't know what they're doing on the training pitches, but players are falling like nine pins at the moment, aren't they? What do they say? Like they, they must be doing royal rumbles, you know, so on the training lines up in Chad. So let's just keep our fingers crossed that everybody comes to unscathed between now and then. Otherwise, yeah, you know, so maybe Carlo may have to turn to some of the younger players in the squad. You, you make a good point there, Prano, that although, you know, you, you can turn around and say it's a, a glorified training session, a lot does uh, matter on what happens on, on the training pitch, doesn't it? From, from what I watch, you know, you had the Anthony Gordon goal and, and Alex Awobi looked quite sharp as well. Some of these players won't have done themselves any harm with the chances of starting the derby, will, will they? No, not at all. But you know, you're playing against players that you are training against week in, week out. Yeah. So you know, you're going to feel a little bit more comfortable in that environment. Personally, I would have liked to have seen them play. You know, another team, another club from a different league, just to give it that slightly greater competitive edge to it. Obviously, it'll be a friendly, so people aren't going to be going too silly and throwing themselves into you know strange challenges. But I just would have liked to have seen you know a slightly edgier game than just. You know, so bibs against non-bibs, you know, so players that you see in every day. Uh, maybe something has been, you know, so organised for between now and Sunday, I don't know. Uh, but you just worry about, you know, going in slightly undercooked. Having said that, Liverpool have played one game, haven't they, you know, against Blackburn. And, you know, not all of their big guns played in that game either. So, you know, the coaches and the managers know best. They, they know the conditions their players are in. we just got to hope that they peak at the right time. And Adam, someone who's kind of spoken about confidence issues and, and dealing with the kind of mental health side of the game in, in, since he's arrived Everton is, is Michael Keane and again you know it is only a, a game against players he is training with week in week out but he's got two goals there and might just give him that little extra bit of confidence because now with the injury to Yeti Mina he, he's going to have a really important part to play in this end of season running would you would you say it could potentially define what happens next for Michael Keane at Everton because you know a lot of rumours about Gabriel who, who Everton had an interest in and um, whether they go back to that after the landscape has changed remains to be seen. But, you know, if they did bring the centre back in and, and with the emergence of Holgate, you could be looking at Michael Keane, a £25 million player, being third, fourth choice centre back next season. Mm. I think it's really interesting. And, you, you know, you make a good point. I think Michael Keane will be looking at these next few games as really crucial for him. And, you know, without one, one of his teammates to get injured, this has almost presented itself the perfect opportunity for him to try and prove himself in this sort of manner. Uh, I think, you know, whatever whatever the game is, whether it's an intra-squad game or whether it was against another team, the fact that he's managed to bag himself two goals, as you say, that will give him that extra little boost of confidence going into you know what is going to be a, a really tough game for every player on the pitch, really, uh, on Sunday in the Merseyside derby. So, yeah, I think every bit of confidence that Keane can take from that is going to be crucial. And as you say, over the, over the next few games in particular, you know, we don't know when... Yeni Mean is going to be back fifth, whether he's you know only going to miss the next two or three games or whatever. Uh, but it, it presents a perfect opportunity for Keane because you know regardless of what what targets Everton go for in the summer, you'd like to think that a centre back is still going to be high on the priority list. You know wherever this transfer window lies, whether it's got to be going for loans and free transfers or swaps or regardless, you'd like to think that Everton are 
looking at that centre back position and thinking to themselves, yeah, we like if if this situation has proven anything, it's proven that we probably do need four senior options in there. So you know, the next few weeks really are, are going to be the perfect opportunity for Keane to say, right, okay, if you do bring in a fourth centre back, then you can't you can't have me as third or fourth choice. You've got to be you've got to be uh, thinking about me in contention for starting the starting place and. You know, it's a great opportunity for him, and uh, let's see if he can live up to it. Prep Prenno, Michael Keane up against Savio Mane, Mane uh, Mohamed Salah, and Roberto Firmino. Is that the prospect that fills you with a little bit of dread at this time, or, or do you have confidence in, in, in Keane? I'm apprehensive. I have to be absolutely honest. Um, Michael Keane appears to be a player that does, you know, sort of thrive on confidence, and yeah, you know, a couple of goals in a in a training session, you know, some might help. Personally, I prefer to see him producing a more robust defensive performance rather than popping goals in at the other end. <laughs> um, I mean, Everson's central defensive situation, full stop, is one that probably needs a little bit of attention, which is obviously why they've been linked, you know, so with players like, you know, Gabriel. Um, because, you know, you look at the players there and could you honestly say, yes, there is a central de- defensive partnership that's got potential to be a platform for bigger and better things over a period of time? Holgate and Mina has looked okay. It's looked, you know, it's, it's showed promise. But is it absolutely right? I, I don't know. Uh, Michael Keane's got to ease his way, or you know, into that situation. He's got an opportunity to do that now that you know, so Mina's missing, and it's up to him. Um, he's got promise, but we've been saying that for a long time. That's why Manchester United, you know, so had him when they did, because uh, yeah. you know, so and why he's got international caps because you know, so he's a he's a young man who clearly has lots of promise, but he's got to try and transfer that into consistency and doing it over a period of time. He could do it. Uh, I certainly hope he could, uh, but it's up to him. You know, so the opportunity is there and, and he's got to take it. And let's face it, you know, that, that's one of the, the toughest challenges he's going to have on Sunday night uh, because, you know, so that trio of being the, you know, the most potent attacking trio in the Premier League this season. And uh, they'll be sharp, they'll be flying, they'll be rested. Uh, so, you know, yeah, Michael Keane's got an awful lot to prove, but he's capable of doing it, certainly. If we're honest as well, he's he's kind of got to do it as well because yeah. we've we've really not got any other options. If, to be honest, if he can't if he can't step up and perform, he, okay. I think we've 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 left ourselves in a bit of a bit of an interesting situation at Santa Michael. And that that does kind of bring us neatly on to the next point. That you know Phil Phil Kirkbride wrote his weekend column on on Jared Brantwaite, who I think. We've seen a little bit of in, in under-23 football after he became Carlo Ancelotti's first signing in January. But another uh, interesting part of the, the images released by the club was Cuco Martina playing a, a role at centre-back at some point. So what about that? Michael Keane, God forbid, goes down injured early minutes. Carlo turns to Cuco to kit, on, kit up on centre-back. Anyone else happy with that? Thanks, thanks for that, Sam. You know, so we've got, we've got you know, so long time between now and the weekend. We can start worrying about things like that closer to the occasion <laughs> rather than now. No, that terrifies me. I mean, um, I, I'm not as down on Cuco Martina as a number of fans are. I mean, I, I recall that appalling performance at home to Tottenham, uh, you know, when he was possibly one of the worst individual performances I've seen, you know, so for quite some time, which Ronald Koeman actually took the, uh, the rap for. He claimed it was down to him because of the way he set the team up. Uh he did okay uh, in the fullback positions after that, and uh, you know, sort of created a few a few goals. I recall as well. 
but he was very, very much a stopgap measure. And I, I don't even know he could play centre-back, to be perfectly honest. So the prospect of him playing centre-back against you know a striking chair that we've just talked about with the cleverness and the pace and the ingenuity that they show, now that worries me. Let's <laughs> not even try and think about that one just yet. <laughs> Cucumber centre-back, Adam? No, I think I've got to agree with Preno there. I think, you know, if, if we're planning for the, the very worst of the worst sort of scenarios, then I think Cuco would have to be a sort of last chance saloon sort of thing. And in a way, it's kind of useful that he that he can play both fullback positions. Apparently, he can play centre-back, as, as, uh, as this weekend has proven to us. So he's kind of versatile to be able to provide backup across the defence. But uh, I, I think he should just be back up like let, let's say if my if Michael Keane or Mason Hol- Holgate you know touch wood were to get injured at any point I think I'd rather see Jared Branthwaite step yeah. up into that area than uh, try and fit a square peg in a round hole almost and use Cuco Martina like I know Martina is a much more experienced player and you know, he's got Premier League experience and you know as Breno says there have been a few games where Cuco Martina has performed quite well I think in an Everton shirt but at the same time I'd rather I'd rather use somebody who's, you know, a bit more cultured in the centre back position, somebody who's who, you know, is a centre back at the end of the day. And I think that would be a great opportunity for Branthwaite if it were to come up. I mean, I still hope it doesn't come up. I hope, I hope we're just not we're we're not talking about this anymore, really, in the future. But yeah, Kuko Martina at centre back doesn't doesn't fill me with too much joy, I have to say. It could be it could be some occasion, couldn't it, Preno? I mean, you've you've spoken about it a little bit there, but from the from the images that have been released over the last week, it looks like Benny Beningami has been involved at Goodison the other day. We had Ella Sims involved. We had Nathangelo Marcello involved as well. And obviously with an extra subject substitute available on the bench for Carlo Hunchlotti. I mean, some of these lads are going to be involved in the strangest Merseyside derby, probably huh. they're gonna be here to it'll be a strange position to be in, wouldn't it? Maybe telling your family and stuff that you're gonna be included and no one gets to see it. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the, the players you've mentioned there, I mean, Ellis Sims, we've got high hopes for, but clearly he has to do an awful lot, uh, you know, in his all-round game before he can be considered for, you know, sort of Premier League football. Benny Beningamy had big hopes for, you know, when David Unsworth introduced him joining his caretaker managerial role. But yeah. he just seems to disappear off the radar a little bit and, you know, sort of not really kick on. So, you know, if any of those players are given opportunities, it has got to be a, a springboard. They've got to use it then to, you know, sort of get in more and more frequently. I've seen it loads of times in the past, you know, so youngsters who everyone gets excited about not quite living up uh, to the, you know, sort of excitement and the potential that they, they first offered. I could go you know, lists of, you know, sort of scores and scores of them down the years. It is such a tough league, the Premier League, to try and make an impact in. And uh, you've got to really grab that opportunity when you can. The lack of a crowd maybe does help a little bit, you know, because it just takes that little extra bit of pressure away. I mean, obviously, you know, your coach is there, you know, the television cameras are there, you know, subconsciously you'd be aware of how important it is. But the absence of a crowd will possibly help a little bit. Maybe it won't. I don't know. I mean, we're venturing into the unknown aren't we i mean uh, maybe maybe a crowd gives you that little bit of uh extra adrenaline kick that, that helps um we'll have to wait and see it's going to be a really strange <clears throat> situation i was thinking about it before about you know even like running onto the pitch uh they're going to play z cars we know they're going to you know give the air raid siren an airing so up until that point everything will be you know so as per normal but 
are the players going to be allowed to touch that this is Everson sign? You know, so is that going to be ruled out of hands? The players you'd imagine won't be alongside each other as they would be normally in a in a uh, Merseyside derby, starting that psychological warfare straight away. You'd imagine they're going to be spaced out, uh, you know, so travelling out one by one. Everything's going to be very, very weird and very, very strange. We know there's going to be no handshakes before the game. It's just a very, very strange situation. And whichever team handles that the best or starts, you know, the best, you know, so we'll probably win the game. We'll have to wait and see. It's like, like you said at the beginning, it's, it's going to be the strangest, you know, sort of derby match I think any of us have ever witnessed. I think in terms of no crowd, it'll be interesting to see, you know, especially if the young players do get a chance to come onto the pitch. It, it, it's not going to be as strange a situation for them, I think, as it would yeah, be for the first team yeah. players because, you know, the under-23s over the last few years have played a lot of games at Goodison Park and, you know, Bear in mind, they haven't been behind closed doors, but for a few of those occasions, there have been a very small crowd, if, if you know any at all. So, you know, it might be a situation that, you know, some of these under-23s players are actually kind of used to because they, they were pressure games as well. You know, that some of them yeah. were Premier League Cup ties. Some of them were, you know, the final fixtures of the league season where they were going for the title. You know, these were these were big matches that they managed to get through at Goodison. So, you know... They might have a little, a little bit of an edge almost yeah. if they were to get a chance. Like it, it's, a, as you say, it is a really, really weird situation. It's a horrible dynamic, isn't it? It's just uh, we ac- accept, you know, so why it has to be played in these circumstances, and you know, why football has to return. Uh, we've discussed it, you know, so in previous podcasts, but it is going to be something we've never experienced before. Uh, a very, very strange situation, full stop, and you know, something we'll have to wait and see what happens. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. I'm talking about our, our next stars, hopefully, of the, of the future at Everton. There's, there's been another man talking today who was wanting in the same position. It's, it's Luke Garbutt, and he, he's talking about his, his five-year deal that we, uh, we give him in 2015 is, is coming to an end this summer, and he says... I'm out of contract with Everton. Once everything is wrapped up football-wise, I've talked to my agents. We'll put something together and see what options I do have. Right now, it's early days. Don't really know what my future holds. It'll be a drawn-out process throughout the summer. You know, when you when you look at it, Preno, it's, it's so difficult, isn't it? Because people were excited about Garbutt. I think he, he had a few good appearances in the Europa League, especially that I can remember under yeah, yeah. Roberto Martinez. And I think even there were some links, some strange transfer links around the time his contract was running out. To Liverpool, do, do you just put this one down to, to bad luck? Could, when he signed that five-year deal, could anyone have turned around and said, I don't reckon he'll ever play for Everton? You know, he, he hasn't played one game right. since having that contract. It goes back to what I said before about I've seen so many players who've showed potential and get you quite excited about them and then not take it on, not show the consistency required. And, you know, Luke Garbus is certainly one of them. Brendan Galloway is another in the same position where, you know, they had little runs in the team and initially looked like you know they were set to become stars of the future. And then, for whatever reason, it's not happened. I'm not sure it is entirely down to bad luck. I think the players themselves have to take a lot of responsibility as well. 
Um, you know, you've got to be consistent. You've got to deliver what the manager and the coaches want game after game after game and do it in the Premier League. And only the very, very best, you know, sort of players can do that. Luke Garbutt hasn't done it. You know, if he had done it, he'd have been picked up by another Premier League club and he'd be still be playing, you know, so regularly. Uh, so, you know, he's got to shoulder a fair bit of the responsibility himself. I don't think it's just down to misfortune. Yeah, but it is, it's, it's strange how that never happens, you know. So I remember the European game, was, was it Wolfsburg or, you know, there was one of them where um, it, it was so exciting, you know, so seeing, you know, so youngsters like that, you know, so come through and, you know, so look promising against like so decent quality, you know, so European opposition. But it never happened for him, you know, so it never kicked in. And, uh, you know, so players have got to show so much so consistently nowadays to su su survive and succeed. And unfortunately, he didn't. I mean, the fact it was a five-year deal indicates, you know, sort of the confidence Everton had in him. You know, so they saw enough in him to protect, you know, the, the asset, if you want that horrible phrase, um, you know, for that period of time. But it never happened. And uh, I don't think that's down to anything that happened to Everton. I think it's down to the lad himself. Is it, is it tough, Adam, when you, you consider he's been at Everton since 2009? He's had loans with Cheltenham, Colchester, Fulham, Wigan, Oxford, Ipswich, and... Quite unbelievably, he's older than Lucas Dean. Is is it just? It's, it's staggering almost, isn't it? But do you agree with Preno? Is it is it something to do with with Garbutt himself, or has he just had really, really wretched luck being behind a player of Leighton Baines's caliber, and almost like Everton didn't know quite what to do with him? Um, I think it's a bit of both, really, isn't it? I think uh, for me, the thing that really that, that really worked against them and. You know, it, it, it happens so often with loan moves, but, you know, those two loan moves, I think it was to Wigan and Fulham, you know, they, he just didn't really hit the ground running as he, as he would have liked in either of those loan moves. And I think it kind of scuppered his opportunities going forward at Everton. And I think you look at Brendan Galloway as well, and he had a, a very similar thing. You know, he broke broke into the team, looked like he was really going to make it. And then, you know, just a couple of loan moves is enough to... You know, scupper those opportunities going forward, which you know, as as Prano said, it is a real shame because you know, looking back, especially at the uh, Europa League campaign when Garbo got his chances, uh, when Leighton Baines was out to the side, he did look like a really good quality player. You know, he was great going forward, especially I, I seem to remember uh, great, great in terms of like delivery into the box as well. So yeah. it, it was. It, 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 must, it must be really frustrating for him that, you know, he, he did get that opportunity, but following that, it, it, the consistency just didn't really didn't really uh, come to pass. And I suppose that a lot of that is down to just how good Leighton Baines is. And I think it goes back to what we were saying on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. It kind of shows how good Lucas, Lucas Dean is, that he can come into this side, even because, let, let's, let's be honest, Leighton Baines has still got a lot of quality in him right now. So for yeah. Lucas Dean to come in and instantly just take that left back position, that kind of just shows how good he is. I suppose Everton have you know you know progressed themselves in that left back area and have now got two really really good options at left back. So regardless, it must be it must be really frustrating. But at the same time, I think it's really good that he's had such a successful spell at Ipswich. I think it's five goals and three assists that he managed to get uh, in League One this season. You know, it's a really decent return for him and. I, you know, I've got no doubt in my mind that there'll be clubs lining up to get a free transfer, such as him, in in uh, in the summer. So, you know, good luck to him for wherever for wherever he goes, because he's managed to uh, he's he's managed to set himself up really well with his performances this season. So, fingers crossed, he can get himself a a decent move and continue to progress. 
do you think that's something Marcel Brands would be keen to avoid situations like this anymore, Preno, where we're giving young players like your, your Galloways and your, and your Garbets long-term deals and, and ultimately them not working out? I don't know. I think it's a very, very difficult balancing act, that one. I mean, you've got to try and protect, uh, you know, sort of the value of, of young players that show promise, which is why they get offered, you know, sort of decent long-term deals, you know, so to prevent them, you know, moving on for very little, you know, sort of further down the line. Uh, they obviously show enough at the particular time to warrant um, a long-term deal. So I think we'll see it again, you know, so, and, we, and we'll see players fail to live up to expectations again. Um, it's, it, it's a tough balancing act. You know, something is clearly there uh, on the training pitch, you know, sort of mean that they do get the long-term deals, but you then got to do it in a Premier League environment and you've got to do it regularly uh, to justify the long-term deals. So now we will see more dished out in the future and we'll see, you know, some players live up to that billing, others that won't, probably more so won't than do. Uh, it's just the nature of football, unfortunately. It's, a, it's a, a high-risk strategy a lot of the time. You know, so football can be a bit of a gamble. And it's, it's worth taking risks sometimes, you know, so on young players, just in the hope that they do build on what you're initially seeing on the training ground. Who the next, uh, you know, so long-term deal would be, I don't know. Um, you know, Morgan Feeney is the latest one that we've seen released, who we thought initially, you know, so might, might do okay. People spoke highly of him, but, you know, it never quite worked out. We'll probably see, you know, so more not working out than do work out, which unfortunately, that's just the nature of football. You know, like I say, I've been watching it so long enough now to have seen so many uh, really promising kids, you know, sort of fail to, to, to kick on. And it just underlines once again how tough Premier League football can be. And looking, looking ahead a little bit to, to what the future could hold now for, for a couple of goalkeepers uh, at Everton Adam and, and Phil Kirkbride wrote last night that Jonas Lossell is, is closing in on an extension to his loan at, at Huddersfield. And, you know, we have spoken about goalkeepers on the podcast a fair few times in the last few weeks and months. But, you know, the, the piece kind of said at the moment, at this moment in time, you know, next season you'd be looking at Pickford, Lossell and Joe Virginia. Is that three options you'd be comfortable with or do you think we should look to maybe rebuild Joe's confidence in senior football, send them out on loan again and then maybe do you have to dip in the transfer market to for a third goalkeeper? What, 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 would, your, what would your fantasy football preference be? <laughs> well, if we're talking about fantasy football then, you know, I'd, I'd just uh, sign Jan Oblak from Atletico <laughs> Madrid. Uh, you know, just bring him in. But uh, <laughs> I think if, you, if you're talking more realistically, I, th- I think we've already got a number of areas in the squad that I think desperately need some transfer attention. You know, we were talking about centre-back uh, earlier in the podcast. I still think we need a centre-mid. Right-back is obviously a really interesting situation. Uh, you know, could do with a winger as well, potentially. I think... You know, with, with the amount of uncertainty that we're going to have over the current transfer window, you know, in terms of, you know, how much money play the teams are going to be able to spend, uh, even how long the transfer window is going to last. You know, when is when is it going to open? When is it going to shut? Like we we really don't know anything about the upcoming transfer window as of yet. So to try and to try and make it that more that little bit more difficult for ourselves by creating another position that we need to sign a player in. I just don't think that that makes much sense to me. I think it makes sense for Losel to extend his uh, his loan at Huddersfield because, you know, he's gonna be getting he's gonna be getting minutes. And as you said, it's gonna be a way for him to, you know, keep that confidence up uh, for a potential challenge for Jordan Pickford next season. 
I think Yao Virginia, you know, while his low move to Redden didn't work out uh, this season, I think next season he's got to be looking at, you know, perhaps making his way onto the bench uh, for, you know, in particular like cup games or something like that. You know, trying to get himself some some sort of first team minutes because as we've seen numerous times for the under twenty threes, he's a really really good goalkeeper and he's got a lot of promise about him. So, you know, it would be really good for him to you know try and get that opportunity at Everton. I just I'd, I'd prefer to see that rather than us you know send him out on loan and then potentially have to get another goalkeeper in. I just think that distracts us from the other sorts of transfer situations that we've got going on elsewhere on the pitch. So. Yeah, I'd rather just just not make it any more difficult for ourselves than it needs to be. Similar assessment from you, Preno? Very much so, yeah. I mean, um, first of all, Jordan Pickford, uh, Gareth Southgate believes he is England's best goalkeeper at the moment. You know, he's still the national team's goalkeeper. So despite the reservations that some people have, you know, so I, I don't share as many of those reservations as other people do. So, yeah, I think there's a need there to try and find you know, somebody that will push him a little bit more. And Jared Virginia fits that bill. I've not seen massive amounts of him, but what I have seen you know, so has been quite heartening, uh, quite impressive. So there are plenty of other areas in the squad that need uh, you know, attention addressing rather than the goalkeeping situation. Give Jared Virginia you know, sort of season on the bench, you know, sort of see if he can push uh, Jordan Pickford to see if he can get the occasional appearance uh, in the cup competitions and see how things go. Um, I certainly don't think that it's an area of the squad that is a high priority, you know, sort of need to address at the moment. No, I'm, I'm quite comfortable with the way things are. Um, you know, so Virginia for me would be a reasonable choice uh, as a backup. And, you know, so Jordan Pickford is first choice as far as I'm concerned, you know, and should be for the foreseeable future. And just to, just to finish then before normality resumes on our, on our Friday podcast when we can finally uh, do score predictions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll test you as with, with, with one that yesterday was the anniversary of Ronald Koeman being appointed Everton manager. If you, if you could go back in time now, Preno, to that Arsenal game when we lost 5-2, do you, do you think maybe now with hindsight and, and everything that came after afterwards, Sam Allardyce, did Everton act too soon? Or do you still think now, all these years later, it was the it was the right choice to, to part with Ronald when we when we did? Um, at the time, I thought it was hasty. I mean, looking at it right now, in the knowledge that we have Carlo Ancelotti as manager, I can yeah. say, yes, it was the right choice. You know, so it was the right decision, even if it was a very long and circuitous route to finally come by Carlo Ancelotti. But at the time, no, I thought it was. It was, it was hasty. I thought it was ill-judged, um, given the fact that the fixture list at the start of that season, we've said many times since, it is officially the toughest set of fixtures any Everton manager has ever faced from the start of the season, based on the corresponding finishing positions in the previous season. You know, the teams that he had to face uh, building up. I think what did for him, it wasn't just uh, the Premier League, it was also in the Europa League uh, that, you know, so we were awful. I mean, uh, that performance in Atalanta was, was yeah. quite shameful. And, you know, and certainly some of the games, I mean, Everton didn't just lose. They looked absolutely dreadful. Was it Old Trafford that was an absolutely appalling performance? And then, you know, to concede five goals at home to, you know, Arsenal can do that to, you know, a lot of teams on their day. Uh, but, you know, it, it was just, it was horrendous. I still think it was probably a little bit hasty, you know, so at the time. Uh, but I understand, you know, so why the decision was taken. Ultimately, I'm just delighted that it was taken because where we are now, uh, it took a long way to get there. We had to have a number of other people in the, uh, in the hot seat between now and then. 
But, you know, Carlo Ancelotti, I think, is a coach and a manager that we can all get behind for the long term. And you know, so if we do have, you know, wobbles, which almost certainly we will do, uh, because of his track record and because of his career, I think he'll be given, you know, so, uh, you know, much more, you know, sort of rope, if you like, you know, so he'll be allowed to, you know, to have these little wobbles and these little, uh, you know, sort of dodgy periods because we know he's an elite level manager and because we know he's capable of achieving. So, yeah, I think we got where we needed to get eventually. <laughs> but, you know, so to answer the question, yeah, I was still a little bit surprised, you know, so when the decision was taken. In fact, thinking back, I was very, very surprised because I was actually in Tenerife on a, a family holiday when <laughs> I, uh, I got the call from the editor to say that, you know, so Ronald Koeman's being sacked, we need a comment piece ASAP. So uh, I ended up having to disappear into the, uh, the, the lounge of the Arona Gran uh, reception area. <laughs> I was rattling out, rattling out a comment piece uh, with me, and me, me shorts and my towel by my side. And if I recall correctly, Sam, you know, so you were quite new to the place then, weren't you? And we're like manning the ship pretty much with only a handful of people alongside you that day. I think it was my first day. So it was a baptism <laughs> of fire. Uh, I think, uh, it was one of your first days as well, wasn't it, Adam? Yeah, it was my my third week in this job. Yeah, third third week manager got sacked. That was oh, that was that was stress. <laughs> I have to say it was stress. Uh, it's a sink or swim situation. Like, clearly, <laughs> you're, clearly you're both swum. I remember, I remember seeing that kind of blue square statement just kind of pop up on Twitter. I remember like just turning to to Neil Jones, who, who's left us now to to go and work for to go and work elsewhere. And uh, I remember the the fear in his eyes when he. He realised he'd been left with a bit of an under twenty three squad. <laughs> but yeah, hopefully we uh, we done okay that day. Well, I think that's uh, that's all for today. Obviously we'll be back later in this week to to preview the Merseyside Derby at Goodison Park, a very different Merseyside Derby. Please get in touch on the Facebook and Twitter pages. If you've got any comments or anything you'd like to see spoken about on the next podcast. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe. And this has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.